Hey, good morning. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie, uh, the lead pastor here, and really glad you're uh, worshiping with us. I haven't been with you guys for a couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, I was at Camp War Eagle. Uh, we were dropping off our youngest, Layla, and had the opportunity to speak to a chapel service that they do before the, the campers get there. It was great. I love doing that. Um, it's great uh, just to be able to serve that incredible ministry that's led by Derek and Leslie Seaton, and they are part of the Grove. It's great. You'd be praying for them got some counselors there from our church, got a bunch of kids actually going back today uh, that are going to be there. I love it because like we go and I speak at this chapel service at 10, they don't open the gates until one, but we drop our kid off like, like as soon as it's over and we leave. And like, I, sw- I swear to you, we're driving out with our kid already dropped off and there's a mile of cars that I am taunting. It's great. I love it. It's great. And we had a great time. And then after we dropped her off, we spent a few days, my wife and I did, we do this while our kids are at camp. We um, uh, went to Maine this time for a few days. It was beautiful. And at the same time being beautiful, it also just made me, reminded me just of kind of just how lucky we are and how beautiful um, Arkansas is. And just, you know, just how, just within an hour of where we live, just some of the, I think some of the most beautiful places. You know, but people don't know that, right? People don't, that's not when they say Arkansas, it's not what they think. And it happens. It happens all the time. It happened in Maine. I, I don't know why I was talking to these people. I'm not, I don't go on vacation trying to make new friends. I'm not judging you. Please don't judge me. If you're trying to make friends, try to, I don't try to make a new friend. Anyways, and so we're talking, and he's like, where are you from? And you say Arkansas, and you always get the, hmm, you know, you like, a, like, a, like a skeptical look. And, you know, trying to process that. And then and it was like, wait a second, I know somebody. This is how it goes. And some of you may have even fallen into this category. I may have had this conversation with you, right? See, I, I know a friend, like, they moved to Arkansas, and they said it wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be. Like, man, come on with that. And some of you, you know, you've gotten, you, you didn't come here purposely. Like, you got drawn here very often by Walmart and all its extended tentacles and entities draws you here. And I have this conversation, people from, you know, the more civilized parts of the United States. You know, it's just, just not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And, like, I'm simultaneously offended by that, and I'm like, yeah, okay. I, I, get, I, get, I get that. I get that. I mean, it's really nice where we live, but some of us, me included, we grew up in some of the places that created some of the stereotypes that people have around Arkansas, right? And so you have to have this thing. Like you just have this stereotype in your brain of what Arkansas is going to be. I would like to suggest that we carry with us a very similar stereotype about the way who God is and how he's described, especially in the Old Testament. And I've heard this before. Some of you may have said it. This idea is like, man, the God of the Old Testament seems really, really mean, but Jesus seems really cool. And we describe as if there's two different gods. There's the God of the Old Testament. We refer to him that the God of the Old Testament, as if there's just not just there's just God. The God of the Old Testament versus Jesus in the New Testament, as if... Either very, very two different things, or that maybe God is playing some sort of good cop, bad cop with us, or I guess bad cop, good cop with us. And we imagine that the God of the Old Testament is just this mean, vindictive, judgmental God who is just smiting and destroying civilization just, just on, on whims, right? This, this idea of a very angry, judgmental Old Testament God. And Mark kicked this series off last week, you know, this idea of kind of head and heart, this, this heart and mind idea. And Mark started us off just kind of with this motivational idea of just kind of, you know, it really is the most important thing we can do. Jesus was asked, what is the, what is the 
biggest, what's the best commandment? The greatest of the commandments. So Jesus basically says, the best thing that you can do, the most important thing that you can do is to love God with everything that you are. With your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength, with all aspects. And so we want to be motivated. We want, we want, we want to, be, to, to, to love God well. But we also, if we're going to do that, we need to really know who he is. And I think what, we need to, what we're going to try to do today is kind of break this stereotype. Because I think there are some significant aspects about who God is as revealed in the Old Testament that we miss. But because we have this stereotype, we don't see it, or we avoid the Old Testament. I don't like reading the Old Testament. People say this. I don't like reading the Old Testament. It's, God just seems mean. I, 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 st- I like to stay with, uh, with, with, with Jesus. But it's, we'll spend some time over the rest of the series making sure we understand that there is nothing but unity between the God that's presented there in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament. So there's any number of stories that I could have picked, but I decided on the book of Jonah today. Story of the book of Jonah, and you may have some familiarity with this story. Most of us probably have some familiarity with kind of with the, at least with the children's version of this story, right? God tells this prophet to go do something. He doesn't want to. He goes in the other direction. God, you know, just, you know, you know, sends a storm to the boat. And you know, Jonah sent overboard, gets swallowed up by a big fish. And he's in there for a couple of days. And he gets spit out, and then he goes and does what God calls him to do. So Jonah, Jonah and the whale is very often what the, uh, the story is described. You may have at least a passing familiarity with that, with the VeggieTales version or something of that. Like, from the story. But I think, again, as with most of the Old Testament and, and most of its significant stories, there are some very important things that God is trying to communicate to us that we're just, we're just missing. So we're going to do just kind of a high level, just kind of walk through this verse to make sure that we really understand what I believe the Bible tells us about who God is in the Old Testament. All right? So we'll just start at the very beginning. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. There's a few things we need to make sure we take note here and what's kind of what seems like to be a very casual intro. First of all, we get introduced to the idea of, of Jonah. And Jonah is a prophet. And we, we know about this. He's mentioned in some of the historical books there early in the Old Testament. He's a prophet. And what that, what that means really in this context is very different. Like I say prophet, you think predictor of future. But that is not what prophet means in this context. What prophet means is someone designated by God to give a specific message from God to another person. So God says to Jonah, hey, I've got a message I want you to give to this group of people. Tell them this. And so then he goes to that group of people and tells them that. That's what a prophet does. Since he's God's mouthpiece, not speaking on his own, not teaching what he thinks, not, inter- not, not, te- not like what this is. Hey, we're going to look at this passage. I'm going to tell you what I think this means. Prophet is someone who takes a message directly from God and gives that direct message to a group of people. So that's who Jonah is. And we hear God, God's upset with somebody. It's like the sin, is, this is, it's, 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 it's uh, wickedness has come before me. I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to preach against it. Now, something that you haven't noticed that would be shocking to the people, the original readers, the people who first would have encountered this story, and Jonah lived probably around 700 BC, is the target who Jonah is supposed to talk to is not, not in Israel. 
It's not the kingdom of Judah. It's not the kingdom of Israel. It's not the Jews. It's not the king of Israel. It's nothing like that. It's Nineveh. This is outside of Israel altogether. And in fact, Nineveh, it's the capital of Babylon. I don't know how many of you familiar with world history people out there. And Babylon during this time was an incredibly ruthless, conquering um, people. I mean, just imagine at different seasons of, of history over the last 30, 40 years, it might be different people. And depending on your political persuasion, I'm not trying to get like, hey, I want you to go to Moscow, to Putin and his people, and I want you to give them this message. I want you to go to North Korea. I want you to go to Iran. This wasn't just simply a country, a different country. And it was not... A, it's the, it's, the, it's, it's the most reprehensible, violent people. Like an, an, a, a Jewish person would have heard this and say, absolutely no way. I've got five great reasons to not go there and, and say this to them. I mean, it seems like death would be on the table, right? I mean, you're going to do that. Hey, I want, you to, I want you to go to Moscow, just right outside Putin's office. I want you to tell him that God's really mad at him. Right? You don't have to, you don't have to work too hard to think what's going to happen to you. Right? And, th- and so there's lots of reasons why Jonah would not want to do this. But before we kind of get into that, I want us to f- focus first on this idea where he says, go to this city and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So God sees their sin and who they are and what they're doing. He describes it, it's wicked. It's come up. It was down there, and now it's like it's getting on me. And I want you to go tell them, I don't like this. This is no good. And we'll say it this way, that sin, sin is detestable to God. It's detestable. He hates it. The word hate is used cover to cover, Old and New Testament, to describe God's feelings about sin. He he hates it. It's offensive. Words like destructive, wicked, God sees sin, and again, there's no soft way to say it. He hates it. Now, I say that out loud. He's like, bro, you said you were going to make a different point today. You said you were going to convince us that the God of the Old Testament was different than what we thought he was, and now you're just leading with this. Well, I'm not saying that he's not at least some of that. That there's, I mean, stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason. We, we see this aspect in God, and we'll spend a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about Jesus was, Jesus was like this. He said some of these same kinds of things, too. So, but you have this idea. But why, though? But why? Like, it doesn't, for some people, it just doesn't make sense. Why would God hate sin? Why would it, why would it make him angry? Why would, it, why would he detest it? Why, why, why? And these objections usually come from a couple of different places. One is, you just think about being the God of the, I created the whole universe, right? I mean, just... Millions and millions and millions of planets and stars and all these things out here in this vast, giant universe. And God's just kind of managing the whole thing. And he's got this huge thing. But really what he cares about, man, why did you flip that dude off in traffic yesterday? Why do you get so angry when you're driving? Like, like, like that, like, why, why would God care? I mean, he's, he's got, like, God thing. Manage a planet, bro. I mean, like, do something with that black hole. Why don't you create some life somewhere? Bring some aliens here. That'd be cool. Like, you got God things to do. Why are you worried about what I do in my private life? But the idea is this. And this is a primary theme of the Bible and a primary understanding of who God is. 
the creator God of the universe, who is big enough, who obviously is on a scale, may not a physical size, I don't have a physical side, but like he's on a scale, like he can create the universe. He's bigger than the universe. He's the creator of it. That a God that powerful and that big cares about you. Now, it's very often we can talk about this, and we talk about that very much in good news. That's a good thing, right? God, and God is this vast, huge, powerful God, and God sees you. He sees you. That's good news, often. But at the same time, I guess it depends on what you're doing, right? Hey, guess what? God sees you. Ooh. But then you're like, well, why, well, why does he care, though? Right? God, God's supposed to be nice. Like, why... why why would it make him angry? And there's this idea that we make sure we understand about who God is. And this word holy is used to describe him. And holy really has this idea of being separate. You're just kind of set apart. You're kind of, you're kind of in your own category. And God's category is morally pure. God's category is perfect. God's category is good in the purest, deepest meaning of the word good. And because you are, he is separate and he is good, you just can't get, bad just can't be around him. You just, he's, he's set apart from bad. And when we do bad, we're apart from him. And it's a little bit like, I mean, it's, I say, it's a little bit, it, God, it's so much more than this with God. But like, you ever been around somebody who's like, just like genuinely nice? I mean, like real nice. And maybe some of you are nice. And I, I'm not nice. I mean, like, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to roast you a little bit. I'm going to be a little sarcastic. Jokes at each other's expense. And we kind of high, kind of spar like that. It's kind of how, but, but then there's some people that's just like, I don't, 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 can I, can I tease you? Like, would, 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 would that crush you? Does, would, well, I get struck by lightning. Are you like, are you so, are you so not like you just feel like, okay, I, I need to be better because this person is here, right? Like genuinely nice people. people. People like to treat me this way. They should know better, not nice, but they do this because I'm a pastor and I hate it. And I hate to tell you this because now you're going to do it because I told you I don't like it because you're not nice, right? Like you walk into a room and people are having a very normal time and a very normal conversation. You walk up like, oh, my old pastor's here. Stop, a pastor's here. But there's just this sense of which, like, okay, whoever walked in the room is of a level my behavior needs to be modified. Like, when God walks into a room, who he is, our sin, it just, it's repulsive. We, I mean, it, it, it just, it just can't, it can't, it can't be like that. And, and the other idea is this. He created this world. And he created you. This world belongs to him. You belong to him. And you don't get to come into his house and do whatever you want. It's his house. You don't get to come to my house and just set it on fire and like, bro, I thought you were chill. All I did was set your house on fire. All I did was take your favorite things and break them. Why are you being like this? I thought thought you were cool. God's cool. He didn't really care that I set his house on fire, broke all his things. Of course he cares. It's his and, and, and it, is, it is important for us to, to register that. Because in a real sense, in a real sense, both, both literal and metaphorical, I think we can all agree that there are parts of the world that are on fire. 
This world is on fire. And who set the fire? We did. But then, well, I mean, that's uh, some, some, yeah. But what, not like what I do in my private life. Not in my private life. And we have this idea, and you're going to think I'm being political here, and maybe I am, but I hear this from both sides, so don't take it as I'm at them. I'm at you, actually. You hear this thing on both sides that, like, what I do in my private life, my individual liberty, my individual freedom, my individual choice, what I do, if it only affects me, it doesn't matter. Well, it still matters to God. Because in the same way, his, this house belongs to him, you belong to him, you're his And you were created to be in relationship with him. And so what you do, it matters. And sin, it is upsetting to God. He hates it, makes him angry. Wickedness has come up to him. Go, preach to them. Go and and tell them what has happened. And so... We, 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 got, we got to put our minds around that. We're going we're gonna, to, we're gonna, again, we're going to put another piece to this puzzle, but we've got to make sure that we are at least willing to start there with this idea that sin is detestable to God. But there's something else in this very same passage. He says, go to the city of Nineveh. Again, Jonah doesn't want to go. The first thing he does, hey, he said, go to Nineveh. And he's like, I ain't going. And he goes in the opposite direction. Nineveh's here, Jonah's here. Hey, I, I'm not doing it. He gets in a boat and goes this way. I'm not doing it. I don't, I don't want to go there. But the fact that God would want to send Jonah there says something that I think is incredibly important, that ultimately God loves everyone. Sin is detestable to God, but God loves everyone. Okay? If he didn't care about the people of Nineveh, why would he send Jonah? Who cares? God doesn't care about them. God only cares about his people. He doesn't care about those people. Why God wouldn't even send Jonah? Well, he's just doing that because he wants to judge them. Well, if that's what he wants to do, he's got tools in his belt. He's got an earthquake button, got a fire button, flood button. He's got all meteor button. He's got all the buttons. Beep, boop, 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 boop. He could just like, I don't like Nineveh anymore. Their wickedness is coming to me. Beep, boop, 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 boop. Maybe a combo, all three. Maybe he's going to bring dinosaurs back. He could do anything. Something out of the wall. I mean, he could do anything. But it's not what he wants. He cares about them. Their sin matters to him. I don't, he doesn't want this for them. I want them to know that what they're doing is destructive. Go tell them. Go tell them. Go, go, go tell them. God is not indifferent to them. He, he has a, a deep love for them. And so he's going to send one of his people, one of his prophets, to somebody that obviously his prophet and the people at large thought to be amongst the worst people. And so God loves everyone, and Jonah's clearly not on board. I don't, I don't, want, I don't, I don't want this. I'm going this way. Again, I don't know what happens in the story. God does. He uses one of the tools in his belt, the storm button. He hits it, boop, and now the storm happens. And these sailors, we can look at this story, and they say immediately, God, there's a God that's mad at us. And we can call them superstitious if we want, but these are experienced sailors, they knew, they were trying to get from here to here. You don't go out in a big storm. These st- our boats can't handle that. And so they knew the weather patterns and they knew the way storms developed and they knew it was going to be fine. This journey was going to be fine. But all of a sudden it wasn't. This was, they knew it was a supernatural storm. And we can call them superstitious if we'd like, but they were right. This wasn't just some random storm. It's like, oh no, any storm means the God. They, they know what storms are. This is not that. And they're going around. Is it you? Is it you? Somebody offended some God somewhere. And they finally, Jonah's hiding in the bottom. Is it you? And they're like, 
yeah, I'm afraid it is. I'm afraid, I'm afraid that, that, that it is me. And um, so he says this to him, verse 11 of Jonah chapter one. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Now the right answer here, right? I, okay, I need to repent and tell God that I'm willing to go to Nineveh. That's the answer, right? I'm, I gotta tell God I'm sorry and telling him I'm willing to go to Nineveh. That's the answer. Is that what he says? No, he says this. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. So, now I do not want to minimize this, but he hated Nineveh so much, did not want to go there, did not want to tell them anything about God. He hated them so much that he would rather have killed himself than repent. I would rather, I want to jump, I will rather jump off of this boat than do what God is. I'm not gonna tell God I'm sorry. I'm not gonna say I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna, I want, throw me overboard into the storm. That's what I want. And, and, and these guys are like, that doesn't sound cool. Like if your God's mad and we're gonna take one of his people and that doesn't sound cool at all. And so they pray like, God, this is what this dude's saying. We're gonna throw him over. Please don't be mad at us. They throw him overboard and the, the storm calms down, which is a really cool thing for them because now the, the real God of the universe has now had an impact in this, this group of sailors. And then what happens to Jonah? Again, if you're familiar with the story, but hope, the big fish, maybe a whale comes up, hope. Thanks. That was not... Let's just say this. Make sure we understand how angry Jonah is about taking God's message to Nineveh. That was not good news. That's not what he wanted. This is not God being, from Jonah's perspective, this is not God being kind. Like, I'm, try, I'm, trying, to, I'm, trying, I'm trying to get out of this. I don't want this. Like, hey, I gave you a message. Oh, I, I got you to do, I, t- I don't have a plan B. I told you to do this. You are going to do, you are going to take this message to them. Oh. Now he's hanging out in, that, in, that, in, the, in, in this fish. And then you go to Jonah chapter two, and depending on how, what version of the story you were told as a kid, or he, he kind of sings this song, this poem thing to God. It's kind of this prayer. And in it, he basically, he says, I mean, you're God and I'm not. But the thing that you'll never hear him say in there, he doesn't say, I'm sorry. He doesn't say, you're right, I was wrong. He's like, well, I guess, I mean, you're gonna put me here. I'll do it, I guess. So then he gets vomited out there on, 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 on the shore and, and, then he, and then he goes. So he does what God asked him to do and he says he goes around the city for three days. First day he's like, hey, your, uh, your sin has upset God and in three days he's gonna destroy your city. Comes back the next day, hey, in two days God's gonna destroy your city. Comes back and says, hey, tomorrow God's going to destroy your city because of your sin. It says that he goes outside the city and sits outside and waits, waits and watches to see what happens. And what happens is, is that the king and all the people decided, well, maybe if we ask God to, f- to forgive us, maybe God will relent. We don't know, but maybe he will. And so they do. They do something that Jonah never does cover to cover in this story, which is apologize to God for his disobedience. The bad people, the bad people do. Which again, I think this is the primary point of this story with respect to the Jewish people who would have first read it. You think God's blessing is only for you. 
but God's blessing on you is for the whole world. And he wants you to take it to everyone, including the people that you hate the most. In fact, if anything, it's a story for them against racism and nationalism. And just this idea of that God's love extends everywhere. Take it to them. And so they repent, something in that Jonah never did. Verse 10, chapter 3. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. So God changes his mind. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to destroy the city. Because you have repented, because you have turned, I'm going to, I'm going to not judge you. Now again, depending on the, ch- the children's version of the story that you're familiar with, maybe it was a little felt guys that stick on the thing or Veggie Tales or some little kid's book. You know, I remember very specifically, I'm reading a version of this story to my kids some, in some kid's book, and it's like, and Jonah was so happy that they repented. And I was like, man, what on earth? That's not, that is not what happened. In fact, this is what happened. Verse one, Jonah chapter four. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. This is the plot twist. This is why he left. It was not because he was afraid for his life. It was not because he thought that these bad people were going to do something to him if he talked to them about God's judgment. That is not, that is not, why, he, that's not why he didn't do it. Because I think that's the thing we think. He didn't want to go there because the people were mean, the people were scary, the people might do something to him. He's just saying very clearly right here, that's not it. This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Can you imagine saying that angrily? I knew this about you, God. You're gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, relents from sending calamity. He's, he's, he's furious. I mean, it doesn't make sense to read those words in angry voice. This is, he's angry. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than live. He is so filled with rage and anger and hate. This is the second time in a very short amount of time that he has said, I would rather be dead than watch these people find hope and life in you. So again, I think the big picture of this story is very important for them, for the people who are reading this at the time, experiencing this story. But it's really good for us too. This idea of the blessing that God has given you is never meant to be reserved for just us. God is calling us to take what he has given and give it and give it away, even to the people that we might decide we think don't deserve it for one reason or another. There is no one outside. There's no like people who deserve God's love and people who don't deserve God's love. There's all of us who don't, and God wants it for everyone. That's the big picture idea. But the big picture that I want us to get, the make sure that I, I want to make sure that we get, that at the same time that we can say that sin is detestable to God, we need to make sure that we can also say this, that God's grace is abundant. He just... They, they just, years, you know how many years, how long it took for the, the, the detestable nature of the, their wickedness to get to God. Like, I can't with this anymore. Go preach judgment against the city. And one moment of repentance and God's like, 
All right, we won't, we won't do it. I, I appreciate that. God's grace, his ability to forgive, his desire to forgive, his compassion, it, it's, it's overwhelming. And you might say back to me, if you were the arguing type, bro, you're the pastor, you're the lead guy, you get to pick the story that you want to, of course you're going to pick a story that makes the exact point that you want to make. There's, there's, there's a whole bunch of other stories you could have picked that I could pick, like maybe I get to pick this, I get to pick the story, what are you going to do with this one, right? And so, not that you have made this argument, I've made it for you, but I will now object to it. Here's the thing that you need to make sure you understand. You think you know what God is like in the Old Testament. You have some idea about his character, about his nature. You know who knew God at that time infinitely more than what you do? Jonah did. Jonah was God's messenger. He was someone who had conversations with God. God, I want you to tell this group of people this. And God saw that he saw the way God responded and reacted to all these different people. And this guy, Jonah, who knew God, described him as someone who is infinitely compassionate. You might read the Old Testament, you might experience the Old Testament, and you're going to miss the things that they saw clearly to the people that knew God at that time the best. God was infinitely gracious and merciful and compassionate. And then again, you may have some stories you want to object to. I mean, Noah's Ark, just kind of like Jonah, is a very, we make it like it's a kid's story. It's actually kind of terrifying, right? You know, it's cute to have pictures of animals on a boat. We had that in our nursery for Maley, right? We, you do that. But the whole world gets wiped out because of God's judgment on the world. But here's the thing you need to understand. The message came to Noah, came to the whole world. I'm, a, I'm going to destroy the world with a flood. And you know how long God waited? 120 years. 120 years of, hey, if you don't change some things, the, there's a judgment that's coming. 120 years of Noah building a boat, 120 years of reminder to the, entire, to the entire world, hey, this thing is about to happen. Plenty of opportunity, an overwhelming amount of patience and compassion and desiring for people to repent. Another story where Joshua and Jericho, where an entire city gets wiped out. It was 40 years, 40 years. And one family got the message and God gave them an entire week for that one family to go tell as many people as possible, hey, the judgment of the real God is coming, but if you will just come and be in my house during this time, God said he's not going to harm anyone who is in my house if you'll just come. We don't understand, we don't know how many people listen to that message, but for 40 years, God was communicating to them, judgment is coming, and for an entire week, a very specific warning was coming, hey, I, and with a very specific way for God to save even in the, quote, worst stories in the Bible, the worst stories in the Old Testament, if you're willing to look, you will see evidence, overwhelming evidence of a gracious and compassionate God. And that's the God that Jonah knew. And that's the God that you need to know. And we need to figure out how to put both of these pieces together. A God who looks at my sin with anger and frustration, but a God who is infinitely compassionate. 
and I put these things together to form a picture of the real God. Because we come here on Sunday and we say, I want to worship God. I want to know God. I want to follow God. I believe in God. We say these things. I believe in God. I worship God. But we need to make sure that the God that we say we believe in is in fact the one that exists. Let me pray. And I pray, I pray that we would, we would just, we would let our idea about who you are be shaped by who you actually are. The God that we would not believe in a God that is too soft, too angry, too distant. God, that we would believe in who you really are. The creator and giver and sustainer of life the holy, set-apart God who is infinitely good, whose sin is detestable, when our, our sin is detestable to you, but God, that your love is overwhelming. God, so much that you sent your son to live this out, to show us, and to, to sacrifice him so that we can live. An incredible outpouring of your grace and your love and compassion and at the same time showing us what a big deal sin is. And God, I pray in our hearts and our minds that God, we will be able to start putting that together a little bit better. And it is in Jesus' name, that son's name that we pray, amen.